Hello everyone and thanks for tuning in. I'm Abby Chatfin. We're here tonight thanks to GHD. We love you GHD. We all start our hair with the beautiful tools and we are celebrating the launch of the new GHD Unplugged Cordless Styler. So convenient. The other day Sarah was in the car doing her hair in the car, which is wonderful. Um, GHD, of course, stands for Good Hair Days. Uh, we're going to have some unplugged chats around all things empowerment and confidence. And joining me is Sarah Davidson from Seize the Yay and Tori Archbold from Powerful Stories. Hello. How are you doing? Hi, guys. Good. Hey. So lovely to be here and see your beautiful faces. So, so lovely. I feel like I'm for the first time in a long time, I'm in an actual outfit. I put pants on. We've got a full outfit. And I was going to do a trackies down the bottom, but I thought, no, Sarah and Tori deserve, deserve my entire attention. We're going to frock up. <laughs> Absolutely. So tonight we're talking all things confidence, which I think I, I think from what I know about us three, we're not really lacking. I don't assume, you know, we're three powerful, confident ladies and we need to implement that across our entire lives. Some of us have it all the time, I think us, or most of the time, and some of us have it not very often and feel like it's impossible to get a hold of. So I want to ask you in terms of confidence in general, Sarah, what is confidence to you? And would you say you're a confident person? That's a great question. I think it's changed a lot over the years. Once upon a time, I thought it was being absolutely sure of yourself and 100% comfortable with yourself at all times, never experiencing self-doubt or imposter syndrome or any kind of inner negative self-talk about yourself, your body, your mind, your abilities. And I really, I think I tried to strive for that. I'm an extrovert and I misunderstood that as confidence firstly. But then when I'd have self-doubt, I think maybe I'm not confident in my abilities because I'm always doubting them. What Mm -hmm. I've come to appreciate it as I've gotten older and as each decade passes, I feel like I get a little bit more comfortable in who I am and stop trying to be a million other people and, you know, being pulled in all the different directions of what's cool and what you should do. And I think now I see confidence as feeling the self-doubt and questioning yourself and comparing yourself, but still loving yourself in spite of all that. So it's not that you never have to, it's not you have to be confident all the time or you have to be extroverted all the time. It's just that you embrace all the things about you, the good and the quirky and the weird, and still can find a place where you love yourself anyway. Yeah. And the irony of that idea that you have to always be loving yourself 100%, that then messes with your confidence if you're feeling bad in in a random day in ninth week of lockdown, you know? <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, I don't feel very good today. Therefore, I almost shame myself for not being entirely confident in in who I am or entirely happy. But it is about kind of picking yourself up, right? Totally. And I've already had one outfit change today because I was like, oh, my God, look what everyone else is wearing. Like, you're never immune to it. It still happens. <laughs> okay, so just, just a bit of a BTS for everyone. <laughs> we were on our little, you know, tech check before we came on here and Sarah was in a beautiful white top looking gorgeous as she always does. And kind, babe. <laughs> she then, she's like, one sec, guys, just turn my camera off for a second. Comes back, whole new top. Yeah. Whole new, I mean, beautiful both ways, but we did love the colour. <laughs> like oh my god this is not okay I need to fit in more yeah (laughs) the irony how about you Tori what is confidence to you I agree with Sarah at times in your life we all feel a little unconfident a little unsteady on our feet 
But what I have learned through the decades, because we're talking 20s, 30s, and 40s here, and I'm obviously in my 40s, I feel like the mama bear in the conversation. (laughs) You don't look it. (laughs) No, definitely do not look it. Like the mama bear, I got married in my 40s, you know, in my 30s, I had my first child, but in my 20s, I started my first business, which ended up being a global business, you know, with no money in the bank, no connections, nothing, and I ended up attracting the world's, you know, top performing retail brands, celebrities, and influencers. So when you ask me about confidence, I actually believe that confidence comes back to self-belief. And when you believe in yourself, you believe in your story, you believe in your capabilities, you have the power to propel yourself forward no matter what the circumstances are. But what I want to say to that as well is we're all going to feel unconfident and a little uneasy on our feet at certain times in our life. And this Buddhist monk taught me the best thing and I'm going to share it with you girls he's like Tori it's just like marinate you just got to sit there and you 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 got to feel it and you're going to feel those awful awful feelings and he goes eventually you're going to be sick of those feelings and you're going to be sick of your own bullshit and you're going to move on and that honestly is such a powerful tool and anyone can do it it might take you 10 seconds 30 seconds could take you 45 minutes It doesn't matter. It allows you to release it and move on. And that is the power of who you are and how you grow. What are some times in your career, maybe, Tori, that you didn't feel so confident? Did you have some, obviously, I'm assuming you've had some stumbles along the way, even though you've had an amazing career. And how did you find the confidence in yourself after those stumbles? Yeah. So I think early on in my career, I learned to stay in my lane. And a lot of people said to me, "Um, who's your competition? And I would always say, no one. And I think a lot of people would say to me, oh my God, like, what's that ego? But it wasn't ego driven. It was like, you know what? Everyone else has a place in this world to be fabulous and to own their own lane. And so do I. And so I just owned it. And I think the more I owned it, the more I believed it and the more I attracted. And then when I didn't feel so confident, I went back to that Buddhist monk and he's like, sit in your shit, marinate in it, right? And so it's like this rinse and repeat process where you can just let it go and shift it into being a powerful person. And when we talk about being a powerful person, it's not like, look at me, I'm so powerful. It's taking ownership of yourself, like what's and all, the good and the bad, you know? And sometimes in life, we're not going to feel confident. And there's a little story, you know, of mine that I share with people, you know, after my last big client, Drew Barrymore, left Australia. Um, I literally, I had a three-page story written about me and my life, right? Success and survival in Marie Claire magazine. And I remember going, oh my God, what are people going to think about me? What are they going to judge me? Because all of a sudden I was releasing out into the world what had happened to me behind the scenes. Now, what I learned about that was I shouldn't have wavered because it was my story it was my truth and it was my power. So sometimes we're going to feel uncomfortable, but we've got to get uncomfortable to feel comfortable to get to the next level in life. Does it make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. This is like, I'm I'm feeling like you're my monk at this stage. I'm like, I'm getting I'm happy to be I, your monk. I can marinade. be the We're a honey soy chicken marinade. Absolutely. I'm like, Sarah, are there any times in your career or even your personal life that you've been like, whoa, like, I don't for my best. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And how have you dealt with that? 
Oh my gosh. I think one of the parts of having a better relationship with confidence is understanding that that actually happens every day and that it's not a bad thing if it happens every day because it means you're growing. And anytime you are feeling a bit comfortable, it's not that you haven't earned it, but that's the comfortable times are generally not when you're growing or not when you're becoming a better person or upskilling or learning something for the future. It's in the really hard times where you do feel like, oh my God, I can't do this. And going from a legal career where I had, even though the learning curve was steep, I had seven to 10 years of study and experience that I I knew I had. I knew I was well-prepared. And if I wasn't, I had like a million different mentors to ask, clear bosses. There was a clear support structure. It was going into business knowing I had no degree, no experience, no no like qualifications and no right to be there. I'd kind of just become this intruder in a whole new industry and throughout all the rules from one career to, you know, change my thinking completely to embrace a new one. And I think one of the things that's helped me so much and that applies to any time in your life when you're feeling fear or uncomfortable because you're not confident is to really think about what is the fear? What are you scared of? And most of the time, you know, people talk about fear of failure and worrying about looking silly and other people's judgment. If I promised you that you could fail and no, not a single person would ever know about it. I think most of us would be like, "I'm fine with that. I'm confident yeah, right. enough." Yeah. If I fail at horse <laughs> Is riding, just talk about me in the group chat. There's all yeah. chats going about my failure. I'll be okay. Yeah, like, and I, I think you know, I'm comfortable knowing that I'm still a good person if I fail at horse riding, but I'm okay if no one knows about it. I don't feel like I look stupid. So that made me realize, wow, like it's a fear of what we look like more than the fear of the failure itself. And once yeah. you know that that's what you're scared of it takes the power away from it and it gives you confidence back because once you fail a few times in a row and moving into business I pretty much learned every lesson I've learned through failing and making massive mistakes over the over Mm -hmm. you know the past few years I realized like I can fail and get back up again I failed forwards almost every time I failed and the more you do that like Tori said I used to think confidence was innate, like you were born with it. There were confident people and there were unconfident people. But the more you do it, the more you realize, I failed, I got back up, I was fine. So next time you're like, I'm probably going to be okay. Like what is the worst that can happen? And the worst that can happen is you might look a bit silly for five minutes, but everyone else has got so much shit on their own plate. They're probably not looking at what you're doing anyway. That's the thing. No one cares what you're doing. No one cares cares for more than maybe like a maybe if they're, you know, having a bit of a bitch, like talking to their friends and being like, oh, my God, did you see? Like unless someone has a vendetta against you, no one really cares. Everyone's worried about themselves. And I think it's so interesting what you said before about going from something that you were so good at and having to kind of take the deep dive because that's a scary thing, right? It's easy to have confidence when you're really good at something. I mean, Tori, you started a business with no money at the age of 24 and you said to me earlier, you know, no contacts and you just kind of like, I know I can do this. And you believed in your niche and yourself and knowing that you're right, no one is like you and no one is like Sarah and no one is like me and that we all have our own unique perspectives and personalities and believing in that. And it is scary to do that. Uh, you know, like I, I literally a year and a half ago was a property analyst in commercial, oh, actually two and a half years ago now, wow, in commercial real estate. Why am I doing this? What am I doing? Why do I have a, why does anyone listen to my it. podcast? Like, you, know, you know what I mean? But like everything that I've done has been so, the first podcast episode, I was like, no one's going to listen. No one's going to listen. And it's like, well, I could have just not done it and stayed in my little safe zone of just doing, you know, influencer stuff and social media stuff, which I do love doing. But instead I was like, no, I'm just going to 
I'm just going to give it a go. And now we're here talking to you too. So, I mean, <laughs> I've got to get better. No. <laughs> You're in your lane. That's what I say. <laughs> Can I also add to Absolutely. that? It's interesting that you said the thing that you your, you could have let your fear and your doubt lead you to not start at all and never start your podcast. And someone, I think it was Hugh Van Kylenberg from the Resilience Project was talking about writing his book, which has changed millions of lives. And he wasn't going to do it because of the self-doubt. Like, who am I? Who's going to read this? Who am I to say these things? Same as we all have thought before starting our shows, like who's going to listen? Who am I standing on this pedestal? And his wife said to him, if you don't write this book, it's selfish because you're depriving all the people who need exactly your message from getting it. So if you hadn't started It's A Lot, all the people who listen to your show and who it changes their life and gives them permission to be who they are every week, you would be doing a selfish deed by letting your fear stop them from getting access to your ideas because someone else out there is always looking for exactly what you have. And if you remember that, then suddenly you're like, oh, I'm actually like, it's almost like you're doing a public service to the people who think the way you do by putting it out there. So that helps me get through doubt as well. That's so true. Who would survive without my blowjob tips? Um, right? right. So I personally so, would not. No, I, mean, I know I've changed some lives. So obviously in life, we have our support networks that those are our friends and family. And I think whenever I get asked in interviews, you know, where's your confidence come from? Where, do, where does your um, ability to speak your mind come from? And it absolutely is my my mum my sister but also my girlfriends I have amazing girlfriends I mean they never judge me with anything that I do they support me relentlessly but also call me out when I'm being a bit of a dickhead so I was wondering Sarah how how do your friends change how confident you feel and are there times that you've been affected for the worse with your friends yeah, yeah, that's such a good one. I often refer back to the quote. You know I just use quotes because I steal other people's it. material and make it sound like my own that's really fancy. But the quote that I love is, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And it's really easy to get into a pattern where those five people maybe aren't aligned with where you want to go. They might be aligned with who you were or, or what you wanted in an old chapter of your life. But going through any kind of big career change or life change or direction change, it does involve a really big network change as well to make sure that all the new things you want out of life are kind of reflected in those people. And uh, I think one of the biggest examples of um, having to change out of particular friendship groups was when I wanted to, to leave my job and move into business full time. But I knew if I asked people who were like me and who were trained as corporates to be really risk averse and to only think of like lawyers are meant that if you're doing a good job, you're finding everything that goes wrong and avoiding it. We are the most risk averse people in the entire world. So they were not the right people to ask when I was having self-doubt about, could I start a business? Is it going to work? Because all they're going to tell me is, well, this is wrong. You haven't got insurance. You haven't got this. You haven't done these labeling, the regulations, blah, blah, blah. And that's that's a skill for them. That makes them good at their job. Mm -hmm. So I really had to be careful who I asked because whatever your environment echoes back to you is what you're going to absorb. So I needed people who were going to be like, mate, I did that five years ago. I left my job 10 years ago. It's easy. You'll learn on the job. You'll be fine. People can, you know, you can do it. You're amazing. And I feel like changing, not even changing your your friendships permanently. Like I think sometimes we worry like I've got to cut someone off and ghost them forever, but it's what you need in a chapter or even for one question. So for when I want to take a big jump, I ask people who are probably going to give me the answer I want to hear. Mm. When I want to do something conservative, I know who to go to. So 
What I think has really changed in the way I look at things is I've always wanted, I've always looked at mentors or friends and thought, if they're not the whole package, like, are they giving me what I need? But really, you build a whole, I call it your neighborhood. You have one person for each thing and you build your support network. You have one friend whose brutal honesty is what you need. You have another friend when you can't face brutal honesty and you've got your period and you're in the fetal position and you want to hear that you're amazing and everyone loves you. You go to that friend, you know, you can have a person for each thing. And the more you tune in to like, who do I need right now? Who do I need for this? Who's my confidence booster? Who's my bitchy friend? Who's my like, you know, eat ice cream out of a tub and cry friend? We all cultivate lots of different relationships and if it's okay if they serve lots of different purposes at lots of different times yeah Tori I can imagine that in your career you've had I know I might be projecting but you've had some fake friends (laughs) or some friends who have been using you (laughs) how do you feel about how confidence relates to friendships and do you have any little stories about some fake friends for me this is me asking for gossip did you know what this is such a great question Abby because when we did have the spring racing carnival down in Melbourne, we used to be in charge of the guest list for all of the top marquees. Now, of course, everyone wants to get into those marquees and the bigger the celebrity, the bigger, I guess, like people warm up the friendship again. What you've got to remember in life is that you want to be surrounded by the people that are aligned with your value set. And one thing that I do every year, and I'm really brutal with it, is I know so many people have um, New Year's resolutions. Oh my God, I'm so excited for this. I'm like, what does she do? She's like scratching names I told off. you, it's like the mama monk is coming through. I love it. So what happens is instead of doing a New Year's resolution, I look back on the year that was and I go, what are the people that have really added value to my life? Who have I really enjoyed spending my time with? And who moving into the next year do I want to spend more time with, Right. And you can, it's like what Sarah's saying about shifting and you're the sum of five friends. I'm a believer in that as well. But what you see is as you grow, as you evolve, so do your friendships. And so you will always have that core group of people, no matter where they are located in the world that you can call up and you might be on your way to Vegas and you like join them and they say yes. Or you're going to have those people that are just like fair weather friends that want a ticket just because, you know, you're working with someone hot. So you're going to find that along the highway of life, but It's your role as a woman to have the confidence and use the power of the word no. Sorry, um, you know, maybe next time or just put them on ice, but put them on ice in a nice way. Yeah, and real friends will understand. You don't want them to bitch. You've got to be nice. No, exactly. You don't want that. You don't want to burn bridges for no reason for, you know, a marquee ticket. Um, But as real real friends will understand why you can't do, why you can't do certain things like they can get them into an event or they won't even ask. Like my friends would never ask. First of all, they don't really want to come, but like my friends would never <laughs> ask to come to an event or be involved in something unless They're not asking it's more... for a plus one. They're not saying, Abby, uh, can I be your plus one? Ne- ne- oh my God, never. Like literally I- I've dragged them. I'm like, please come. They're like, we don't like, we don't like any of these things. Like all my friends are like, you know, in HR, uh, in advertising. They-, they just like have like nine to five jobs. They're all my friends from before. So they're all just like, we don't get it. Can we just go to dinner instead? And I'm so like, so much better, so much yeah. better. <laughs> so, <laughs> speaking of your work, Tori, I'd like to talk about workplace confidence. So we're all business women, our own, our own right. I have been in. I mean, we've all had a few different lives when it comes to our careers, right? Um, I know Sarah and I have been, you know, in 
the wonderful corporate world. I was in commercial real estate. You were in law. Uh, so much fun to be a woman in those fields. Uh, and then, Tori, you've taken over, you know, an inc- you have an incredible career with your business. So how do you feel about workplace confidence and how do you get that workplace confidence and maintain it and, I guess, expand it as well? So you've got corporate, which is you guys, and I'm an entrepreneur. For me, I've got a confession. I think I made it. Um obvious to Sarah on the podcast, I was the girl in the little black dress that made everything happen for everyone else. So for 20 years, when I had tour star, I really made my clients the star. My confidence came from giving them confidence. But then when you flip the switch and I decided to say no to tour star and yes to powerful steps, I mean, all of a sudden I was the one in front of the camera. I was the one that had to speak on TV. And I mean, honestly, the first time I did that, I've been telling everyone else to do it for years. I had to do it for myself. And that was tough, right? You've got to find the confidence to do that. And the first time you kind of freeze, do I look okay? Oh my God. And what's everyone thinking? And I remember they were doing the first shots of our shoot. I looked at the photos like, oh my God, this is so shit. But no one has the confidence to tell me because they're all afraid because they've worked with me on all these amazing campaigns for so long. And they were thinking that maybe we're in this different environment. And I looked at them all and I said, I'm calling bullshit. I said, I know that I don't look good right now and I think we need to change X, Y, and Z, but why don't you have the confidence to tell me? And they were like, oh, I think they're just waiting for permission. So confidence is a two-way street. What doesn't cost anything is honesty. You've got to be able to give other people the confidence to step up and switch on their game, but also you've got to find it within yourself to do the same. And it's always going to be uncomfortable the first few steps that you take but the more that you do it, it becomes easier and easier. Now you can't get me away from a camera. You know, like a year ago, I would have been like, oh my God. Now I'm like, okay, bring it on. Like, you know, lights, camera, action, boom. So you just, once you start practicing things and once you start connecting with people, you realize how easy it is, but it's easy because you've invested and you've believed that you can do it and you haven't walked away, you know? And it gets easier to speak up as well. I think what I've learned in these two very different uh, careers that I've been in is it's very scary to say what you want or say what you think should happen. Uh, particularly I think as a woman, it's very hard to feel heard. And I think once you start having the conversation, I always notice that when I, once I get it out of my mouth, the first half of the sentence, I'm like, I'm okay. It's, it's the fear of like organizing the meeting, sitting down and doing it. If that's how you really feel. And if you do think your idea should be heard, or you do think that something should change, or you do have an issue with something, then it needs to be out in the open. Otherwise resentment builds like in a relationship, in a workplace that you need to find that that oomph. Sarah, how about you? What's your advice or what's your experience with confidence in the workplace? Again, very different lives you've lived. So I'm sure you have a broad amount of uh, advice. Yeah. I mean, pretty much really similar to both of you, that whole idea of firstly, if you don't ask for something, it's a no, it's an automatic no. And the problem is, is that it is really hard often to have that initial conversation of making, you know, people always talk about crystal clear communication and blah, 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 assuming that every workplace is a comfortable, warm, inviting environment for you to have those conversations. And corporate, particularly in a really male-dominated environment, I found that very difficult. But it's such a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. I've really found that whole fake it till you make it mentality helps a lot. Like, 
even if you don't feel confident, the amount of times that I realized I've read a book in my first year of law that my mum gave me, it was like such a clear sign that she was like, I worry about your ability to stand up for yourself. So it was a book called like Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office or something. And there was a Hewlett Packard study about how men in the workplace will apply for a promotion when they have 60% of the criteria because it's logical that they get the job, they can figure out 40% on the go, which is how most of us do business. You, you do something when you've got 60% of the idea and you figure out the 40% on the go. Women wait till they've got upwards of 110 to 120%. So not only do we wait till we're ready, we're like, I have to be extra thousand, ten, you know, million percent ready before I even ask for it. And without any gender inequalities at all, just time-wise, the positions are gone because the men have applied earlier. So that didn't make me more confident. In fact, if anything, it made me more scared because I was like, oh God, well, I don't know how to have these conversations. But it did make me realize if you don't fake that confidence the first time, you'll miss out continually on all the good jobs and all the promotions and all the opportunities and all the networking. And same in, you know how networking circles, abs, you'll remember in corporate, like trying to get your business card into like a group of people who are already talking and you've got to pretend like you are halfway listening. You just kind of shove your way in to talk to the important person. So awkward. I'm just going to break the circle. But the more you do it and pretend that you're not awkward, the more you don't miss out on those opportunities. And the more you practice, the more you're like, I don't care. Like you don't care that you look silly because you realize that then you walk away with the good opportunity or the good friendship or the good relationship. So I practiced confidence and then the more I practiced, the easier it got. And moving into business was the same. If you don't ask, it's a no. So Tori has this amazing strategy that she shared on my podcast of going out for coffees with three different categories of people. And I did a different, less structured, but similar thing of just being like, I want to work with that person one day. I don't know how, I don't know what I need from them, but just emailing someone and saying, can we have a coffee? 10 years later, they turn out to be the most useful person in your network. I think networking and building your relationships and confidence before you need someone also goes a really long way because then it doesn't turn out like the, oh, you know, a famous person. Oh, I remember you from school. It's like, we've actually been chatting for the past four years you haven't dropped off my radar altogether so yeah that's true Tori how was that strategy of taking what is it three people out for coffee here you go I bought it because I know one of the guests wanted to know as well like how to stay connected so I'm going to tell you guys a secret when I started Torstar and I had no money right I just had self-belief and I had to pick up the phone and funnily enough in those days it was News Corp And I remember I was launching Megan Gallas, The Face of David Jones, and I called up Sydney Confidential and I said, oh, look, it's Tori from Torstar, you know, I'm pitching in the story. And the guy goes, Tori who? And like hung up on me. I'm thinking, oh, that didn't go very well. And I'm looking around to see if anyone could see what had happened. Very well. This was a bit hard. God, it's like my first day, you know, and I won this client, David Jones, which was like the number one retailer in our market at the time. Second day I called up and I was like the same thing and he hung up on me again and I thought I'm going to switch my thinking here because I've got something that he wants and David Jones had a really big advertising account (laughs) so I waited for him to call me and he goes a week later hey Tori would you like to come grab a coffee with me and I was like yes I would now that is a start of me saying to myself for less than ten dollars for a mutual exchange of energy you're going to have a coffee with one person in your tribe, one person you want to partner with, and one person completely outside your comfort zone. And that's how I built my business. So when 
you know, we launched Zara in Australia. One of the things was I said to them, like, how did you find me? And it was all anchored around my values of passion, integrity, delivery, but someone having a coffee date somewhere in the world who recommended me. So it's really important. And so every week I have three coffee dates. Sometimes I have 22. I love connecting with people just like you guys. And I think it's important, especially in lockdown, for 15 minutes for a Zoom call with someone else just to connect and say hi. People remember these things. It's so important. And what do you what do you talk about in these coffee and Zoom calls? Like, do you do you make it work related or are both. You just like, both hey, hands. It's like we hey. had a chat today. You'd finished a workout, and yeah. I'd finished a coffee date. <laughs> it's oh like, my god, we love it. You can that. chat about that. Like we were chatting about what we were doing, but then it's like, okay, what are we chatting about tonight? Yeah. So I think you need to pepper the conversation. And the biggest mistake people do when they reach out to have a coffee date with someone in network is they think it's a one-way street and they go, I am this, I am that, can you give me this, can you give me that? The person's just going to be like, see you later. So first of all, what you need to do is get onto Captain Google, which is so fantastic. The first thing that's going to hop up is going to be a picture of that person you want to meet with and probably three sentences linked to their LinkedIn because it's got the best algorithm. That's going to say something about you as a person. Now, when you're reaching out and they're saying yes or no, once they read Captain Google... They're going to be like, well, yeah, I really want to connect with her. That's a valuable connection or no and pass it on. But don't be afraid of the no's because there's always someone better down the line that you're going to connect with. Yeah, definitely. So the next thing I want to talk about was body image and self-worth, which I think is, it's, I think it'd be very, very interesting for us three to talk about it because like you've been saying, Tori, got 40s, 30s and 20s. So I think it's interesting to see the effect we think about you know, social media having on our bodies, you know, we're conditioned to place so much value on our appearance. I mean, I often laugh with my manager about, you know, middle-aged marketing men thinking that confidence equals putting on lipstick. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like uh, different to different stuff. So I'm wondering how, how you both, I guess, Sarah, how do you deal with being, I guess you are a traditional influencer as well, right? So <laughs> how do you deal with the pressure to look that influencer way as well as in your real life and your body image and yourself and how that all ties together? Yeah, it's such a hard one. And I think I, I feel very, very lucky that I fall into that generation of people who remember having a childhood without the pressures of social media but who are also yeah. young enough to still have their lives changed in a positive way with social media. Yeah, I think I got Instagram when I was in like grade 11 or something. Yes. So it was it, it was like I was kind of a, a I had a fully formed brain, you know, like yeah, I wasn't 12. Yes. Like I was like, I could understand like that things were edited and things were stupid. But at the, if you were younger, yeah. very dangerous, very scary. I think I was the last year that had like a normal relationship with right so, yeah I think so yeah and I think that I would actually say that that's a, quite a crucial part of why I now have quite a balanced relationship with social media and body body image and my external appearance and that kind of thing because I did have so much of my life without having to worry about my visual appearance so much because I didn't have a job that was related to modeling or performing you know it was it was a brain pursuit so it wasn't until even the career change that I didn't even have really Instagram at the firm. So it was so late in my life that I'd had a chance to be grounded and, and have go a good relationship with my physical appearance and what my body could allow me to do. And I think 
being adopted from an orphanage in South Korea, but then going to a quite like having really Caucasian country bumpkin parents, that also forced me to have a little bit of a head start in that whole lesson of rather than trying to suppress what makes you different. Like as a kid, when you're the only Asian kid at school, you know, you look different and people ask questions and it can be a fertile ground for bullying or feeling different. But I think being forced earlier to appreciate that what's different makes you special and interesting and having to learn that really quickly to give me a thick enough skin to like repel all those kind of earlier taunts from kids, you know, in primary school meant that by the time I did get to the social media age, I had a more solid head on my shoulders than I would have if I'd had social media from a young age. But also you can take control of, like I always say, you know, you can't live a positive life with a negative environment. And that goes for body image too. You can control to an extent the environment that you operate in and the narrative that you're talking about. So I tend to use humor as a bit of a way to break the ice of things that are really serious. So, you know, I find that one of my ways to have a better relationship with social media was to start posting all the bloopers from beautiful photo shoots. When I did have makeup on and I was shooting for TV, I'd, you know, post the behind the scenes where I was bloated, had no makeup on, had just come out of the shower to counteract that. And once you get comfortable with everyone knowing all sides of you, that also helps you control, you know, your relationship with it. And another thing is I think knowing what triggers you to feel bad about yourself and controlling the environment, the accounts you follow, the pages you look at, and the industry has come a really long way. So I think lots of timing has made me have a a better relationship with body image than I otherwise would, but it's hard. There's so much comparison. There's so much visual stimulation, but it's coming back to grounding, doing bloopers, having a bit of fun with it and surrounding yourself with people like you guys who have really good values when it comes to that and and working with brands who embrace inclusion and diversity and things like that. But yeah, it's hard. Yeah, of course. I think as well, it's important to acknowledge that we are three straight sized women. So if we think about body image, we are not living in the realm of of fat phobia. You know what I mean? Like we are living in the realm, but we live in a vacuum, but we don't have that additional pressure from society, this fat phobic society that we live in. So, but that still can, I think the whole idea about when it comes to body image is changing our perspective on what is bad and what is good. And I love the, the blooper reels and I love the, you know, being like, yeah, dude, like this is how I look behind the scenes of a photo shoot or behind the scenes of a video shoot. Like it just makes things much more normalized. And I think as a whole social media, in the particular past five or so years, people are so done with that aesthetic grid post and the feeds that are all matching. It's like, that's great and that can look beautiful, but it's not the main focus of Instagram anymore, I don't think. Tori, how about how about your relationship with social media and your and your body image and how you see yourself and your self-worth? So I have a teenage daughter um, and I teach her the same thing that I teach myself is that we're born naked, we die naked, and what we choose to do in between is up to us, right? And so it's all drag. That's a saying, right? We're born naked and the rest is drag. <laughs> it's so good. But you know what? I actually have big boobs and that I'm going to have a confession here. And that has been tough for me in business because 80% of my clients were men when I had Torstar and I would try and cover that up so much so that when I met my husband on the third date, he was like, wow, you have boobs. <laughs> And it's not, you know, third date. Oh my god, babe, I'm getting them out. Like 
my E cup boobs, I'm like, date one, here I'm they the are. I'm the opposite. My husband was them. like, I took out all my chicken fillets after the fourth day and he was like, you don't have boobs? Oh, my God. <laughs> Tricked. I know. And so, I well, no, this is honestly, this was, I felt like in terms of body confidence, that was a problem for me in business because I dressed it down a bit. But that did make me feel uncomfortable at times, especially when I'm traveling around the world and I'm on my own in, you know, like London, Milan, New York, Paris and you know, a client asks you out for dinner, what do they want, right? So it spins both ways. But what I've learned along the highway of life is embrace what you've got because you've got to make the most of it. It doesn't matter what shape or size you are. And a good example that I have is, you know, I was backstage at the last Victoria's Secret show um, a couple of years ago and I'm working with all the world's top supermodels. Now, they all get out on that catwalk and they give it their all. But what happens backstage is often not what you imagine, right? And some of them aren't body confident. So if someone that is idolized as, you know, one of the top supermodels in the world is struggling with their confidence, that's okay because we can sometimes struggle as well. You know, it's what you choose to do with your body to move it forward. And talking about lawyers, um, I interviewed this amazing woman, Rachel, actually, who was a lawyer, Sarah, and she had big boobs as well. Yeah, no, she quit working because the same problem that I had and she ended up starting this swimwear company, but that was her body confidence issue as well. So I always say, look, the average size of an Australian woman is 12 to 14. In America, it's it's bigger. And then why do you have people walking down a catwalk that are, you know, literally a size six or an eight? You can be sitting in a room interviewing some of the most beautiful people in the world and they have the same confidence issues that everyone struggles with. But it's the fact that they choose to push past it and go, you know what, this is who I am. Nothing's going to change that, you know. Um, So we've got some listener questions now, actually. So we've got a few for each person. We'll just go through. I guess we'll do a little roundabout. The first question is for Tori. Um, It's from Carmen from Queensland and she asks, as a busy mum, how can I manage guilt if I take some much needed me time? Okay, so here's the thing. If you don't take the me time, you'll burn out and you won't be a good mum. So you need to schedule it in. And one of the best bits of advice I got was when I was near burnout, many times in my career actually, because I just pushed myself and I was a single mum for 12 years. It was crazy. I'm traveling the world here, there and everywhere. And I had to anchor myself And so I bet, Carmen, you have a shower with yourself in the morning. (laughs) It's kind of like the sacred space for me because no one's in there with me. And I use that time to ground and anchor myself. And I get three drops of lavender oil. You can get it at Chemist Warehouse. You just pull on your decollage. It's like having this beautiful kind of experience. You inhale, exhale three times, ground yourself, and then like shoot yourself forward into what do you want to do today that's going to actually give you balance, right? And then at the end of the day, which I'm hoping you have a shower like I do, you can repeat the process and you can actually go, well, what am I grateful for today? And the more you repeat this process, the more you're going to shift the energy into your favor. But most importantly, you're going to be looking at how you can create more space for yourself. If you're happy, your children are going to be happy. But you have to put your happiness first because if you're the grumpy, bumpy mom, that's what they're going to be like. So you've got to lead lead in the morning shower lavender oil create space okay i don't have any kids so i don't have you any. can you still have any do kids, it do you, abs, you can still do it 
Oh, look, Tori, I live alone and I have a lot of me time. You're going to have a lot of lavender. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't, uh, me time is not something that I'm I'm pressed for living alone in the ninth week of, week of lockdown. Uh, I, <laughs> I definitely no, haven't been showering as much as I usually do, though. I will say that. Haven't been showering as much. Babe, I have like seven showers a day because I'm bored. <laughs> I'm like, just like letting the steam get through. My skin is like red and flaking off. <laughs> um, Sarah, here's a question for you. Uh, from Catherine from South Australia. Do you believe in the power of positive thinking and visualizing your goals? And I guess if so, how has that helped your life? Yes. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, I I, <laughs> I feel like I've earned the name. Um, a couple of people have called me Positivity Panda in this <laughs> pandemic <laughs> because I do. I think, I mean, positivity and seizing your yay and finding joy definitely doesn't mean that you're happy all the time and no one is meant to be happy all the time in life because if you were happy all the time you wouldn't be able to recognize that you felt good because you'd have nothing to compare it to and like we mentioned before unless you're feeling uncomfortable you're not growing and you're not learning so there's a place for the less happy times as well but I definitely think that you create, like we were talking about before, the environment that you live in, you have way more control over it than you think. So many people, I think, get in this negative thought pattern of life is happening to me. My emotions are happening to me. I have no control over my circumstances. Like everything's just happening and you're reacting, happening and you're reacting. But actually, you know, that that quote, oh my God, I'm coming back to quotes again, but life is, you know, it's 10% what happens to you. That's all the stuff you can't control, but 90% is your reaction and how you choose to interpret that. So right now, I mean, it's probably the shittest time that a lot of people have gone through in their lives and will go through in their lives for generations. But that doesn't mean that you can't wake up in the morning and set a positive intention to find one thing that makes you laugh or one thing that makes you smile. And I don't think that necessarily makes the losses that you might suffer or the challenge that you're facing any less than the next person. But by choosing to be a bit positive that day, you at least had one moment of joy that was created because of that, that you might not have otherwise had. So it's not that you can just go, I'm a happy person and I'm always going to be a happy person, but visualizing joy and making a commitment to those tiny little rituals each day add up overall to a more happy existence than you would otherwise have. And in terms of visualization for future goals or for, you know, manifesting opportunities and stuff like that, I think in all our, you know, across all three decades that we cover, I think you all would agree that the more you perceive something as possible and the more you put it out there and the more you mention it in conversation to someone and they talk to someone who talks to someone who makes the decision, you know, that the more you visualize that something's possible, the more familiar the idea becomes, the less the self-doubt is and the more likelihood that it will happen. So I think a positive mindset is truly the difference between people who have a full, a fulfilling and happy life and people who maybe don't. Absolutely. Um, the next question for me is how to remain unapologetically you in any situation. I mean, I think the biggest thing is what we were saying before, right, is that no one really cares about anyone but themselves. Like, I think that's what I've learned. Like, like I remember when I used to go out even when when I was, like, 18 and everyone just be stressed about what they're wearing to the club or, you know, stressed about, you know, things, what basically what others would think of them. 
And I think at the end of the day, no one is talking about you, babe. And it's like, this might seem brutal, but literally no one cares. Like, even if, like, even, uh, you know, with me, with 300,000 followers, I'm like, no one really cares. Like, on honestly. And I think if you aren't unapologetically yourself, then you're living this weird, I don't want to say you're living a lie, but you're living in this weird false reality. And it's a lot of stress and a lot of work to keep that up. Like I see a lot of people on social media that I know are kind of putting on this facade and that's completely fine. Not that it's a negative facade, they're bad people, but they're putting in a lot of effort to look a certain way. Uh, And I know that they're actually not like that, but I think they're better. I think they are like way more fun, way more out there, way more interesting than what they put in their socials. Um, and I think that's where it's really important to be unapologetically yourself because it's it, it can bring more benefits for you, but also it must be exhausting to not be. I get a lot of questions in interviews that are like, how how are you so brave to talk about X Y Z? And I'm like, I just don't have a filter because <laughs> I'm I'm I don't have the energy. Like I'm like I just need to, I just need to keep you know keep on going. Uh, but I think it's just you know remembering no one cares about you in in a good way, not not in an awful way. It's way easier to just be yourself uh, as long as you're a nice person and trying your best and have good intentions than I think and you're willing to learn and grow, then I think the rest is pretty easy. Don't you think also, Abby, that no matter what you do, you will always make someone unhappy. There will always be someone who doesn't like what you're doing. So given that you can't please everyone, you might as well be making someone unhappy by being who you want to be. Rather than like trying to be someone else and you still don't please everyone, you might as well just be who you are because you can't please everyone ever. And I've I've tried, trust me, it's not possible. (laughs) Yes, that is that actually that's such an amazing point. We've got a few minutes left, but what is one moment that you look back on in your life and you tell yourself, I got through this and I am now stronger for that moment? And that's from Ria from South Australia. Oh, hi, Maria. I wish I could come and visit South Australia. It's so nice to talk to people. Um, Oh, my gosh. There are so, honestly, so many. I think rather than looking at my career or my journey, or I call it path yay because, you know, I love puns, um, rather than looking at at it as a string of highlights or milestones, I actually kind of see it as the more standout dots that connect are actually the failures or the moments that were really hard that challenged me and that I didn't think I'd be able to make it through or where I was crippled by imposter syndrome or burnt myself out and wiped my productivity off the planet and then had to refine my identity. You know, it's it's actually a string of the the tougher times that I look back on and see as really formative moments. So there are so many there who have made me who I am, who have made the businesses what they are. Um, I think probably... The biggest most recently was that I had woven this whole narrative of leaving law because it was thrashing me with 20-hour days and I wasn't looking after myself and I was drinking 10 cups of coffee a day and I got adrenal fatigue and then I got healthy and started a health food business and I was doing yoga on Tuesday at 11 a.m. and being a fun entrepreneur. And I had burnt myself out so much by not practicing what I preached around my identity not being my productivity and what I achieved all the time that I burnt out again and I had to take three months off work. I was so unwell and I was like, just, I couldn't, like, my. if you've ever, if I've ever doubted my self-worth, it was then that I'd started this business around getting well and then I couldn't even 
live that message myself. And it was so visible then. I had a social media page. I couldn't post because I was so unwell. You know, I felt like a fraud. So if I've ever felt imposter syndrome, it was then. And I've also never had to separate my identity from output and being successful and kicking goals and like moving forward, that relentless forward motion. And it, it was a really, really hard time to rebuild my identity through that and find a way to achieve everything I wanted to achieve in life, be a good friend, be a good partner, be a good businesswoman and not continually burn out and break that cycle through, as Tori would refer to them, limiting beliefs or the belief that I have to be productive 24-7 to be worthy and all those kinds of things. And to have come out and not have had a burnout since then but have gone on to do five or six years in business since then, um, achieving things that I never even dreamed could be possible, I think now... You know, I believe everything happens for a reason. That was probably the shittest time of my life, but the most transformative and 100% the reason why I'm here now. Incredible. And I guess knowing your own strength as well, knowing that you get through those two big burnouts, it just gives you that more confidence. I mean, you know, uh, you always, you don't think you can handle things until you do and you're getting through them and you're like, wow, and you go over the hump and you're like, wow, I actually never thought in my wildest dreams I could handle this burnout or this awful thing happening to me or this loss or whatever. And then you get to a point and you're like, I'm actually, I'm over the hump. I've flattened the curve, some may say. And I, hmm. <laughs> and I also hmm, repitched it. Talk about owning your story. I was like, I really high achieved at burnout. Yeah, exactly. You burnt out. You were crisped up. I won at burnout. I love it. Um, That's all we have time for, actually. Uh, So I loved talking to you both. I feel like I've just sat here and learned so much. My favorite recordings are the ones where I'm like, I don't have to do anything. (laughs) I, I don't have to add any insightful thoughts because you two just gave everything that I would have ever wanted to say. Or And I learned things as well during this. So thank you so much for your time. Um, just to everyone who registered for this event and logged in tonight, you've been placed in the draw to win one of seven brand new GHD unplugged cordless stylers. How amazing. We've, we've used them. We love them. The convenience. I'll be at a restaurant in COVID, like after COVID, trying to do my hair. I'll and walk the, the dog. And if you'd like to more, find out more about GHD and their products, head to ghdhair.com. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great night. Much love. Thank you. Thanks, Abby. 